You're listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast, now on Google Play. With Josh Long, Legal and Regulatory Editor. Brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas. Good morning, this is Josh Long with Natural Products Insider. I'm on the uh, phone this morning with Peter Barton Hutt, Senior Counsel in the Washington, D.C. law firm of Covington and Burling. He specializes in food and drug law, and let's just say he has a few credentials. He began his law practice with the firm in 1960, and with the exception of four years as chief in the Office of Chief Counsel for the Food and Drug Administration, he has continued with his law firm uh, ever since. Let's just uh, get right into it. Um, can you walk us through how dietary supplements were regulated in the 1960s when you got into uh, the legal practice? I'd be happy to, Josh. Dietary supplements have been regulated by FDA literally since 1906 as food. They have never been regulated as drugs except if a company were to make absolutely clear medical claims for them. When I first became uh, involved with dietary supplements was actually uh, in 1962 when I represented the R.P. Shearer Corporation. They were concerned because in the 1950s, FDA had launched the largest enforcement campaign against dietary supplements that has ever occurred in history. And then when that failed, FDA launched in the 60s an attempt to control the industry through very rigid, narrow rulemaking requirements. Let me follow up with that. So what was the outcome of that in the 1960s, their their attempt to pose these requirements? FDA undertook a two-year public hearing uh, with the entire dietary supplement industry participating with the outcome that FDA wanted, namely of narrowing all the categories of dietary supplements that could be marketed to just a very, very few, the individual essential vitamins and minerals and one total complete vitamin mineral product. It would have uh, crippled the industry. What happened and what turned FDA around at the end of the 1960s was that President Nixon created a White House conference on food, nutrition, and health. That conference was held in 1969, and suddenly the entire emphasis shift, uh, shifted, and it shifted dramatically. It changed into a focus on hunger in America rather than that people were getting too many vitamins and minerals they were getting too few. That stymied FDA's rulemaking of trying to cripple the industry. 
And just as that was occurring in 1971, I became chief counsel of the Food and Drug Administration and found in FDA the man who was deputy commissioner of FDA, Jim Grant, had been deputy head of the White House Conference and the head of what is now CISAN, the Center for Food, had also been in there, and two other people. The five of us got together and concluded that we should uh, cut back on what our predecessors in FDA had been trying to do. And so we decided to um, try to, to, in a sense, cut out a middle ground, that there would be some regulation limits on, for example, the uh, potency of vitamins and minerals, but that we would not try to standardize and reduce the number of dietary supplement products. So during the uh, early 1970s, uh, we put that plan into place. In the 60s and, and 70s, you know, the, during the time period that you're describing, what was FDA's main concern about, you know, vitamins and minerals, et cetera? Do they have, you know, significant safety concerns, I presume, or no? They had no safety concerns. That was not the okay. focus, okay. With, 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 with the exception of the fat-soluble vitamins. Um, and they did try to control the maximum limits on those. But their major concern was that uh, the United States citizens could get enough vitamins and minerals if they ate properly, and that the industry was basically uh, misleading the, pro uh, the, the public and indeed perhaps even committing fraud. This was, uh, this was the major thrust in the 1950s. It continued in the 1960s. When we got um, at two FDA, the uh, group of five who had been at the White House uh, conference, we cut back severely on uh, that theory. In addition, uh, two other things happened. First of all, the industry woke up to what was going on, and the responsible industry said, look, there are bad actors there, just as there have always been in past history and up to and including today. And we, the legitimate industry, create a, uh, a new trade association the Council for Responsible Nutrition to try to work closer with FDA on reasonable regulations and to only accept members who were putting out legitimate products. That was the first when thing was this? that happened. When was this, this Mr. Was, Hutt? What was the year? This in I don't know the precise year. It was in the early 1970s, very early 1970s probably around 1972, just to give you uh, uh, the general time frame. 
Now, what happened was the industry went to court against what we did, partly overruled and partly upheld the regulations. But then in the 1980s, after I had left the agency, FDA concluded for two reasons to revoke the entire rulemaking that had been undergone uh, for the last 20 years in FDA. The first reason was that the courts had uh, overruled, as I said, part but not all of the regulations. And on top of that, Senator Proxmire had um, uh, actually enacted legislation saying that FDA could only limit the potency of vitamin minerals on safety grounds, not on the ground that the public was getting too much uh, vitamins and minerals that they really didn't need. And so in the early, by the early 1980s, in a sense, the slate was wiped clean. And um, the, the 1980s were a very stable period in the development of the dietary supplement industry. That changed in the early 1990s. With some court cases, my, my understanding is FDA was very aggressive in the late 80s and early 90s, and, and we had some very important uh, federal appeals court cases uh, that came down uh, prior to DeShay passing. You want to walk us through what that was all about? Well, the, the actually, the court cases that were most important came in the late 70s. Uh, there were some in the 80s, but they they weren't as important as the ones that ultimately resulted in FDA overruling its own uh, attempt at writing restrictive regulation. But what happened in the early 1990s was the frustration in FDA that the enforcement action had failed in the 1950s, the rulemaking had uh, failed in the 1970s and 1980s. The attempt to limit um, the, the scope of dietary supplements had failed in the courts as well because of one uh, case in particular where FDA uh, argued that it was inherently illegal to fortify sugar with vitamins and minerals. That case went to court, and the court said that FDA was not a national nanny. It could not arbitrarily decide what food products the American public could consume. And then it and and so it declared that rulemaking as or I'm sorry, that attempt to limit the uh, FDA power as completely illegal under the statute, and that was upheld in the United States Court of Appeal. So in the 1990s, uh, David Kessler came in as commissioner, and he decided that he was going to try yet a third attempt at restricting 
dietary supplements. And he made speeches and went to the press and said that he was going to declare all of the non-essential nutrients that were uh, being used as dietary ingredients to be illegal food additives that were not generally recognized as safe. What was Dr. Kessler's uh, concerns? Well, let, me, let me just ask you, just, just jump in real quick. What, what concerns did Dr. Kessler have about, about supplements? Were those safety he concerns or were those other considerations? He thought it was all fraud. That was his argument. It was all, mean, everything uh, about the industry, he thought, was uh, overstated, misleading, and fraudulent. And the only way that he could reach that would be literally to take most of the products off the market. That was his objective. That coincided with a a call that I got uh, from the then head of the Council for Responsible Nutrition, who had actually formed it back in the early 70s, Uh, J.B. Cordero, a legendary figure in the field of dietary supplements. John and I had become good friends during the 1980s, and he had started calling me about 1990 just informally to get advice because he thought that the only way to, to, for the industry, the responsible industry, to see their way out of this was to encourage responsible legislation. And so I wound up from about 1990 on uh, just informally and then formally as, as outside counsel to CRN reviewing the entire uh, legislative development of what became, of course, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994. Stay tuned in the coming days for the second part of our conversation with Peter Barton Hunt about DeShay. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the health and nutrition industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud account. This edition of the Healthy Insider Podcast is brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas.